Superior Senator Cinema. As members of your Veterans Advisory Council, we feel as though we are being used as window dressing for your own image and not to provide counsel on what's best for Arizonans. You've repeatedly ignored our feedback, urging you to act on three issues that support our veterans and protect the heart of our nation. We must protect voting rights by passing the Freedom to Vote Act. We are appalled by your failure to address this issue. You campaigned on lowering prescription drug prices, but now you're opposing the Build Back Better Act. Are you choosing to answer to big donors rather than Arizonans? Yes. You were a no-show on the vote to establish a commission to investigate the insurrection. These are not the actions of a maverick. As such, we respectfully resign from your Veterans Advisory Council. Sincerely, Sylvia Gonzalez-Anders. David Lucier. Rick Peters. Harry Arabin. Dana Allman. Call on Senator Cinema to support the Bill Back Better Act now. Wow. Them veterans is mad at Kirsten Cinema. Yes, they are. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. As well, they should be. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, An all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us as we continue to fight like hell, as we have for nearly 20 years now, to protect what's left of your democracy. You're welcome. Anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, As we go to air, some uh, late-breaking, if previously expected, news out of Congress... The full U.S. House has voted on Thursday to hold Steve Bannon, the longtime ally and aide to former President Donald Trump, in contempt, in criminal contempt of Congress for defying a subpoena from the committee investigating the violent January 6 attack on the U.S. Capitol. In a rare show of bipartisanship on the House floor, the committee's Democratic chair, Mississippi Rep. Benny Thompson, led the floor debate along with 
Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming, who's the vice chair of that committee. She is one of two Republicans on the panel. Still, the vote was uh, 229 to 202. That means all but nine GOP lawmakers voted no. Uh, in other words, voting uh, yes, uh, Steve Bannon and anyone else can defy a congressional subpoena and it's no problem whatsoever. But hey, nine Republicans apparently said yes, that is a crime. So that's something with this Congress full of uh, anti-democracy authoritarian loons. So I will take it. The House vote sends the matter now to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. It'll now be up to prosecutors to decide whether they, uh, whether or not to present the case to a grand jury for possible criminal charges against Donald Trump's former aide. It's still uncertain whether they will pursue the case. Attorney General Merrick Garland would only say at a House hearing on Thursday that uh, the department plans to, quote, make a decision consistent with the principles of prosecution. Whatever that means. Bannon, if charged and convicted, could face as much as a, uh, a year in prison. But we will see. Democrats are pressuring the Justice Department to take the case, arguing that nothing less than democracy is now on the line. Lawmakers on the investigating committee, who all voted unanimously, nine to nothing, with seven Democrats and two Republicans earlier in the week uh, to send the resolution to the House floor today, say they will move swiftly and forcefully to punish anyone who won't cooperate with the probe. Anyone, Mr. Former Twice Impeached Disgraced President, just saying. <laughs> Anyway, uh, more on that, no doubt, in the days ahead. But I've got a lot that I want to get to today, including, as you heard at the top of the show there, uh, more on Democratic Senator Kirsten Cinema and her fellow Democratic obstructionist in the U.S. Senate, Joe Manchin, in a bit. But along with potential criminal charges for Steve Bannon today... A few other satisfying stories, I think, before we get to the uh, grimmer ones. And, of course, the always grim Green News Report. <laughs> yes, I see you, Desi Doyen. Yes, I'm right here. And I feel your pain. <laughs> uh, but, hey, I got a, a sort of good news uh, a good news story out of your old home state of Texas. I like for the For a change. That. What? Some good news out of Texas? <clears throat> that would be unusual. Yes, it is. And uh, this is an unusual story. So uh, we have we have to go back into time a little bit. A week after the 2020 election, as Donald Trump continued to refuse to accept the results of that election, wingnut Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, you may recall, hoping to curry favor with the wingnut MAGA mob, announced that he had set aside one million dollars. For tipsters who turned over evidence of voter fraud, as the uh, Daily News, uh, Daily Morning News recounts it. Dallas Morning News. What did I say? Daily. Oh. Well, they do come out every day. They do. Anyway. In Dallas. <laughs> anyone uh, whose information resulted in a conviction, Dan Patrick said in a press release at the time, would get a minimum. Of $25,000. The reward offer it went viral, thrusted Patrick in Texas into the national spotlight as one of the top supporters of Trump. 
as the former president continued then and to this day, despite zero evidence on his side, zero, none, he continued to insist that he was the rightful winner of the 2020 election. Within weeks after Patrick announced his bounty, a small handful of cases of alleged illegal voting popped up in Pennsylvania, where Joe Biden was ultimately certified to have soundly defeated Donald Trump by more than 80,000 votes. But there were, in fact, a number of reports of voters casting or at least attempting to cast ballots for dead relatives. Four of them in the state where almost seven million votes had been cast. Now, of those uh, four, three had been Republicans and one was a Democrat trying, trying to cast a ballot for a dead relative. So, oops. There was a fifth case, however. The fifth involved 72-year-old Ralph Thurman, also a Republican, who voted once for himself and then again at the same precinct, apparently, for his son, who was a registered Democrat. As early as December of last year, the flurry of allegations prompted Pennsylvania's own lieutenant governor, the hulking, nearly seven-foot-tall Democratic progressive biker bar-looking dude John Fetterman, who is now running for a U.S. Senate seat next year in the Keystone State. Fetterman citing... Those cases of mostly Republican voter fraud in the state called on Patrick to surrender the $1 million to him. Fetterman and Patrick then sparred on social media and in the press, with Patrick accusing Fetterman of not taking the issue seriously enough, even though, hey, he had a tip on actual voter fraud. Sure, it was committed mostly by Republicans, but anyone surprised? Anyway, Fetterman uh, made fun of Patrick for not forking over the cash, and he even sold T-shirts to help embarrass the Texas lieutenant governor. <laughs> but Dan Patrick would not hand over the money, with his campaign spokesman at the time telling the Dallas Morning News in January that only original tipsters whose actual information directly helped lead to a final conviction for fraudulent voting, only they were eligible for the rewards, not politicians like Fetterman. Well, guess what? As the morning news reports this morning, nearly a year after offering up a hefty bounty for evidence of voter fraud in the wake of Donald Trump's loss, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has handed out his first reward. But instead of going to an informant who smoked out fraud by Democrats, Patrick's five-figure payout went to a progressive poll worker in Pennsylvania whose tip led to a single conviction of illegal voting by a registered Republican. With few strings attached, the paper notes and more cases of alleged GOP voting fraud still in Pennsylvania courts, Patrick may be asked to shell out even more cash to his opponents. In an interview with the Morning News, tipster Eric Frank said he would have turned in anyone that he saw voting illegally, regardless of party. 72-year-old Republican Ralph Thurman voting twice on Election Day, once for himself and then again for his son, the registered Democrat. Well, that was witnessed by Frank as the scion of a family of Democratic op operatives, as the paper calls them. 
you know, poll workers and stuff. Uh, <laughs> Frank uh, also acknowledged the irony of the situation, says he doubted that the Texas lieutenant governor would pay up at all. He said people go on social media, they say stuff all the time. And then last month, Thurman pleaded guilty to repeat voting. He was sentenced to three years probation, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I guess we know that Thurman was neither black nor brown, else he'd have been jailed, at least in Texas. But Frank believed he was eligible then at that point for the cash reward. He wanted to seek it, but he didn't know how. He said people go on social media, they say stuff all the time. But Lieutenant Governor Patrick's press release announcing the fraud, voter fraud reward did not have any other details about how to actually claim the prize, raising questions about why he publicly issued the bounty but did not give any information on how to collect the bounty. Well, we know why he did it. It was for publicity. <laughs> exactly. When the uh, Dallas Morning News asked about the procedure to collect the money earlier this month, his campaign spokesman said the tipsters could apply directly to him. And so Frank did. After he provided some documentation, the Patrick campaign sent Frank a check for not the million that Patrick originally seemed to be offering, but hey, it was campaign—it was campaign cash from Patrick's own campaign, as received from Patrick's duped donors who just paid a Democrat for catching and reporting Republican voter fraud. Frank deposited the check into his bank account this week. It was, by the way, as the uh, morning news reports a lot of money for Frank, but a drop in the bucket for the number two Republican in Texas, whose campaign coffers are flush with more than twenty three million dollars. So, hey, there's plenty more cash for him to hand out. If you uh, happen to be a witness to voter fraud last year, all of all of those thousands of folks who filled out affidavits. Remember them? For the rejected cases that were filed by Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, hey, go get your money. If you saw voter fraud and you can prove it, what? Nobody other than Frank so far, the progressive Democrat who turned in a Republican fraudster, has, has so far done so? What's the holdup, all of you thousands of sworn MAGA affidavit filers? Where are you? Patrick's uh, Dan Patrick's campaign manager told Frank that he had been the first and only person to seek the prize, but that he uh, didn't receive more money because higher dollar rewards were reserved for, quote, bigger fish. Frank said, I don't know what he meant by bigger fish. Neither does Dan Patrick, I suppose, but I'm sure his donors are very happy with him. And I'm sure uh, I, I hope that other folks who, who, you know, go out and get some free money from Dan Patrick. Speaking of elections past and Republicans wasting their donors money on them and unfortunately, in this case, wasting three hundred million dollars in California taxpayer money at the same time. California election officials this week have tallied, finally, the final ballots from the September 14 GOP recall 
that targeted Governor Gavin Newsom, the Democrat, affirming voters' decision to keep the first-term Democrat in office by a huge, nearly 24-point margin. And I know it feels like that uh, California recall election was a 1,000 years ago. It does. It was just last month. The, uh, the final result to be certified on Friday was, uh, get this, 61.9% opposing Newsom's recall to just 38.1% in favor of removing the governor. So while that was obviously a huge waste of time and money for the Republican Party, uh, how much of a waste of time was it? Well... In 2018, when Newsom was first elected, he defeated then-Republican candidate John Cox 61.9% to 38.1%. That's virtually identical. No, it is literally identical. It is the exact same percentage to the first decimal point that Newsom defeated the GOP recall attempt last month. Uh, Now, turnout went up, actually, from 12.7 million in 2018 to 12.8 million this year. So, yes, turnout actually went up in the off-year recall election. Good job, California voters. Now, in truth, the identical percentages from 2018 and the recall this year sounds mighty suspicious to me. I mean, it's the exact same to the first decimal point. It actually does. So why aren't Republicans calling for forensic audits in California? They would get no objections from me if they did. As long as they paid for it. The leading Republican candidate who'd uh, hoped to replace Newsom as governor uh, had had Newsom lost on the ballot's first question regarding removal was Larry Elder, who falsely declared that there was massive voter fraud in the recall election. He declared that the day before the recall election actually happened. But by election night, he quickly dropped his claim when he conceded to uh, Governor Newsom without even putting up a fight. Another failed, disappointing rhino, I'm afraid. For the record, the uh, tallies show that the right wing radio host Elder uh, led the field of the potential replacements who were all running on the second on the ballot's second question. Uh, Elder led with 48.5 percent of the vote or about 3.56 million ballots, uh, just over a quarter of the total ballots that were cast on the recall question itself. Very sad, very yes. sad news for Mr. Elder. In any event, uh, from news of elections past uh, to uh, the more disturbing news of elections future, presuming we will still have elections in this country, working on it, five veterans on Senator Kirsten Sinema's advisory, a Democrat from Arizona, five veterans on her own advisory board for Arizona service members quit this week while publicly dragging the senator over the coals for persistently blocking progressive policies by clinging on to the filibuster in order to hold up the Critical Freedom to Vote Act, among other things, and holding up Democrats 
theoretically and hopefully transformative social spending and climate change reconciliation budget package. As the veterans wrote in a letter sent to cinema and obtained by the New York Times, quote, you have become one of the principal obstacles to progress, answering to big donors rather than your own people. The veterans wrote, we shouldn't have to buy representation from you and your failure to stand by your people and see their urgent needs is alarming. Excerpts of the resignation letter were then read aloud by one of the signatories, Sylvia Gonzalez Andersh, in a new attack ad by the progressive group Common Defense, which you heard at the top of this program. The resignations add to a crescendo of anger and pressure that cinema is facing from erstwhile allies who say they are perplexed by her recent tactics. Yeah, who isn't? She has resisted major elements of Democrats' sprawling social safety net and climate bill, including raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations in order to pay for it. Because Democrats control the Senate with only 50 votes, even one defection, of course, spells defeat for the measure, given Ms. Cinema and Joe Manchin, both, both of them have outsized influence to determine what can be included. Progressive activists have stepped up their campaign to push Democrats to do away with the filibuster rule so that they can pass the Freedom to Vote Act in order to counter the GOP voter suppression and election subversion laws that are quickly being adopted by GOP-controlled states. And if the only way at this point to get this uh, Freedom to Vote Act through, it seems, is to reform the filibuster. Uh, you know, all 50 Democrats on Wednesday voted in favor yet again for the Freedom to uh, Vote Act. And yet it did not pass because it requires 60 votes to pass anything of substance in the uh, in the U.S. Senate still, thanks to the filibuster. Cinema's stances have earned her a backlash from one-time supporters in her politically competitive state. Sylvia Gonzalez-Anders said uh, Democrats were out desperately trying to help her win the seat. That was back in 2018. And now we feel like, what was it for? She is, of course, one of the veterans who signed the letter. The uh, veterans group Common Defense, which in recent weeks placed a seven-figure ad buy to pressure Ms. Cinema to support the reconciliation bill, said that it would invest another seven figures to aid the new spot featuring those veterans uh, who resigned from her advisory board. Arizona, by the way, has about uh, half a million veterans in the state, and they can't be happy with her. Critics, of course, have blasted cinema's ties to corporate interests, including the financial and advertising support that she's received from groups funded by the pharmaceutical industry and other business interests as she resists a leading proposal to lower prescription drug prices, which is something that she actually ran on years ago. I hope I mean, do people understand by now that Kirsten Cinema used to be a uh, uh, was a member of the Green Party? And who was a huge, theoretically, a huge environmental advocate. She then became a Democrat. She then went to, uh, I think she was in the House. Then she went to the Senate. And 
you know, was the first Democrat to win in the U.S. Senate in years in Arizona, thanks to Democrats, thanks to progressive veterans like the ones that she has apparently now turned on. She was also, as I said, a, a, a huge proponent of uh, lowering prescription drug prices through uh, negotiations for Medicare prescriptions. But now Cinema has received some $400,000 from the pharmaceutical and health industries over the past five years. That, according to Open Secrets, a nonprofit watchdog group. Just a coincidence. I'm sure. I'm sure. But at least while Joe Manchin uh, comes from a deep red state where Donald Trump defeated Joe Biden by nearly 40 points last year and where he is unlikely to pay any price for breaking with Biden, cinema is likely to or at least hopefully will, at least if she runs again in 2024 when she comes up for reelection, at least if she remains a Democrat. Now, on yesterday's show... We reported on the seemingly encouraging news uh, that West Virginia's Joe Manchin and Vermont's Bernie Sanders are now actually in direct talks to hash out an agreement for Biden's Build Back Better Act by week's end. We'll see if that happens. Uh, But I, I consider that to be very good news, even if it ultimately means that the package is scaled back much more than Sanders and really the entire rest of the Democratic caucus, other than Manchin and Sinema, would like to see. It means progress in any event and that something is finally moving forward again. That is good. That is better than the weeks of stalemate that we have had. We also discussed on yesterday's uh, program that there are now many progressives and voting rights advocates who are criticizing Joe Biden for not publicly calling out Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema enough for their refusal to date to allow reform, for example, of the filibuster in order to pass the transformative and critical Freedom to Vote Act. That is the Joe Manchin-approved, Joe Manchin-designed election reform and voting rights bill. And it is needed to pass to have any chance of countering the GOP assault on voting rights and democracy itself that is now happening in states around the country. So yesterday... I suggested that, you know, among the uh, amid the criticism from a lot of uh, progressives and voting rights activists, and I understand. But I suggested that maybe Biden, who has known Manchin for years, may he may know that, you know, publicly humiliating Manchin is not necessarily the way to win him over. I don't know. But I have to presume, I guess I have to hope that Biden knows him better than I do having worked with him for many years in the Senate and, 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 you know, that he knows better than folks who think that Biden calling out Manchin by, you know, publicly calling him out on this stuff will somehow win him over. Now, I don't know if it will or not, but I'm, I'm suspecting there is a reason that Joe Biden is not currently doing it. And I've had to um, remind Democrats in recent days more than once, that if you anger Joe Manchin and he decides to, I don't know, leave the the Democratic Party, well, A, there is almost certainly no Democrat that can win a statewide West Virginia election for senator when Manchin runs again in 2024. So you're giving up that seat. But more immediately, if he stops caucusing with Democrats in the Senate for any reason, 
good or bad. Mitch McConnell and the GOP immediately, immediately gain majority control of the U.S. Senate again and any and all plans to adopt any part of Joe Biden's or Democrats or progressives agenda is immediately over, just like that. And now there's this that I really hope my friend David Korn over at Mother Jones is wrong about, even though he usually is not. He reports in recent days, Senator Joe Manchin has told associates that he is considering leaving the Democratic Party if President Joe Biden and Democrats on Capitol Hill do not agree to his demand to cut the size of the social infrastructure bill from $3.5 trillion to $1.75 trillion. That, says Korn, according to people who have heard Manchin discuss this. Manchin has said that if this were to happen, he would declare himself an American independent. Now, by the way, this is not particularly far-fetched. The, the current governor of West Virginia actually ran as a Democrat, was elected to become governor as a Democrat, and then immediately switched his party to the Republican Party, Jim Justice. That would be the billionaire coal baron Jim Justice, yeah. who did it the day after the election. Talk about a betrayal. Yeah, right? So it's not like this sort of thing is unheard of. Manchin has apparently told associates that he has a two-step plan for exiting the party. He would send a letter to Chuck Schumer, uh, removing himself first from Democratic leadership of the Senate. He's the apparently the vice chair of the Senate Democrats Policy and Communications Committee. So keep an eye out if Joe Manchin uh, sends a letter to Schumer saying, I want to leave leadership. That would be step one. He hopes that would send a signal. He would then wait and see if it had any impact on the negotiations. After about a week, he said he would then change his voter registration from Democrat to independent. Now, it's unclear whether in that scenario, Manchin would end up caucusing with the Democrats still, which would allow them to continue to control the Senate. Um, in other words, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, he's an independent. Angus King, he's an independent, yet they still caucus with the Democrats. So that could still happen, but it would seem unlikely. Why would he uh, want to pull this move unless he really wanted to uh, make a point with Democrats? So if he did, if he decided to caucus with the Republicans, that would immediately place the Senate in GOP hands again, immediately. Manchin told associates that he was prepared to initiate the exit plan earlier this week and had mentioned the possibility to Biden himself. But the good news, I guess, he was encouraged by the conversations with Bernie Sanders and top Democrats that occurred at the beginning of the week, did not yet see a reason, not yet see a reason to take the step. Still, he has informed associates that because he is so out of sync with the Democratic Party that he believes it's likely he will leave the party by uh, November of 2022. In his talks with Sanders and Democratic leaders, Manchin has said that they should be willing to accept his offer of $1.75 trillion and then continue to fight for the social and climate change programs that he does not support and make those campaign issues in 22 and 24 as they try to elect more Democrats. So, hey, nice Senate majority you got there. 
hate to see anything happen to it. He said uh, he has advised that half a bill is better than none. And that may be uh, if Corn's reporting is accurate here. And again, it usually is. Uh, that may be uh, all that the Democrats can get out of Joe Manchin. He's told associates he's hopeful that a compromise that creates an overall framework for the bill can be reached by the end of this week, but at no more than one point seven five trillion dollars which means a lot of programs are cut because there won't be enough money and a lot of programs are going to be cut because Joe Manchin doesn't want them for any reason that Joe Manchin feels like. And hey, by the way, if you don't like it, go out and elect more Democrats. Take away the power from Joe Manchin. Manchin's press secretary did not respond to a request for comment from Corn, but David added this update later. He said after this article was published, reporters questioned Manchin about it. Manchin replied, quote, I can't control rumors and it's BS. BS, he said, using a different word spelled with a B-U-L-L capital B said Manchin, after which Korn added, Mother Jones stands by the story. So, hey, yeah, we warned you this was going to get uh, kind of ugly and messy. Sausage making always is, especially within the Democratic Party, though this sausage making is certainly more fraught and more fragile with just the barest 50-vote majority in the Senate, it is more fraught and more fragile than most such sausage parties. <laughs> anyway, let's take a quick break here so we can all uh, talk ourselves off the ledge. And we will return with a reminder of the bigger picture here on how democracy, yes, hangs by a thread at this point. And not just the majorities in uh, both the House and Senate, but democracy itself. And how we really need everybody at this point who is not a part of the authoritarian front, previously known as the Republican Party, to step up right now in lockstep, I would argue, to fight for democracy itself right now. Yes, even if that means voting for Democrats. And yes, even if it means gerrymandering Democratic states. All of that fun. It's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. It is bad out there. It's worse than we think it is insofar as the machinery of democracy is, I think, in many ways grinding to a halt. I think what Republicans are doing at the state level, they're doing at the gubernatorial level is incredibly worrisome. What does that even mean? Well, look, we talk a lot about 2020 yes. and we talk a lot about January 6th and what happened. But in many ways, looking back is what the Republican Party is doing in order to look forward, which is to say they see the areas where they didn't succeed in terms of insurrection, in terms of uh, swinging the vote, in terms of literally usurping American democracy. They okay. look and they see that as almost a, a series of tests. And, and they're trying to figure out how to 
foolproof the system, if you will, ahead of the 2022 midterms and the 2024 election. They are there are voter suppression efforts that you have you are well aware of, but there are also election subversion measures that they are undertaking to change state election boards, to undermine Secretary of States and their powers. The machinery of elections and democracy is very much something Republicans have set their sights on, and they are not going to be content to just let the voters have their will. I really feel like we are on the precipice of one of our two parties trying to undermine the will of the people and American democracy. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com trying to hold the line for American democracy. You heard Alex Wagner there. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked on this show how uh, we talked with Eric Bollert, media critic, about how the media was not doing a good enough job in sort of letting the nation know how much democracy is currently imperiled. Yes. Uh, including this show. Uh, you know, I, 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 I felt like, you know, we're not doing a good enough job. I don't know what we can do better, but I vowed to try. And I have been trying ever since, which... Uh, results in some weird things. It resulted, for example, in uh, my uh, approving of Max Boot, the Republic, longtime Republican columnist over at Washington Post, saying that uh, he has become a single-issue voter, that no matter what he thinks of any particular Democrat, he is now going to vote for that Democrat because he thinks that that is important at this point to save democracy. And I kind of had to agree with him. Yeah, he said as long as the Republican Party remains an existential threat to this country and to democracy. Yep. And I think that's what they are. And, uh, you know, uh, Alex Wagner there, who I never thought I would approvingly uh, uh, share or something from Alex Wagner. She's she used to be on MSNBC. She's now the host of what's it called? The Circus. Yes. On on Showtime or something, I think. I don't think I've ever seen her show. But, you know. Uh, she she uh, is, is kind of a what middle of the road liberal Democrat. And here she is talking about the direct threat to American democracy and that she does not know if it will survive. I think we ought to pay attention when people like Alex Wagner say that she goes all around the country and she speaks to a lot of Republicans. And these are her concerns. Then you've got independent U.S. Senator uh, Angus King from Maine, not exactly a progressive firebrand. Also, I think this was last night on Rachel Maddow's show. Yes, it was. Uh, saying stuff like this. I've never been so worried about the future of my country. We've got to protect the country. We've got to protect democracy. We can't let this uh, wave of voter suppression and the, the changing of the rules that you mentioned uh, happen. Uh, you know, we're, 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 this is fragile. And we're at a really dangerous moment. This is the most dangerous moment, I think, since 1860 in terms of the the, the future of the country. What happened in 1860? I, I don't know if I remember. <laughs> so Angus King there. And uh, so, the, you know, these are some of the uh, things that I'm hoping I'm trying to get uh, your attention and your attention enough that you share it with other people and try to get their attention. And that is also why uh, a week or so ago I came out for the first time saying that, yeah, I think Democrats ought to gerrymander states 
where they control the uh, redistricting process after the 2020 election, uh, 2020 census, that they ought to, yes, gerrymander their states in response to what Republicans are now doing in GOP-controlled states all across the country. And it's something I never thought I would call for. I'm a democracy advocate. I hate the idea that I'm calling for that. But interestingly enough, most of our listeners, at least those who bothered to uh, to write in and to uh, call in to the show uh, a few days ago uh, or to leave comments at the at the blog and so forth, seem to agree with me that Democrats should now do this. I still feel terrible about it. I still hate the idea, but I think this is important for democracy itself. Again, not for Democrats, but for democracy. And if you need any uh, help on this to be convinced, there's this story this week. Texas Republicans this week approved redrawn U.S. House maps that favor incumbents and decrease political representation for growing minority communities, even as Latinos drive much of the growth in the nation's largest still so-called red state. The maps were approved following outcry from Democrats over what they claimed was a rushed redistricting process crammed into a 30-day special session and one which gave little time for public input. Well, of course, as planned. They also denounced the reduction of minority districts, the reduction of minority districts. Texas will now have... Seven House districts where Latino residents hold a majority that is down from eight. That's despite the the state's changing demographics. A larger population, thanks to more Latino residents, means the state this year uh, and for the next 10 years will pick up two House seats. And that's thanks to largely Latino population growth. And yet Latino population receives one less majority district uh, in which they have the majority of voters than they had previously. See how this works? See how democracy dies? At least unless Democrats in so-called blue states push back. Democratic State Rep. Rafael Anchia said uh, to the chamber just before the final vote this week, quote, what we are doing in passing this congressional map is a disservice to the people of Texas. Civil rights groups, including the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, or MALDEF, sued before Republican lawmakers were even done drawing the maps, alleging that the Republican mapmakers diluted the political strength of minority voters by not drawing any new districts where Latinos, where Latino residents hold a majority of voters, despite Latinos making up half of Texas's four million new residents over the past decade. Republicans have said they followed the law in defending the maps, which protect their slipping grip on Texas by pulling more GOP-leaning voters into suburban districts where Democrats have made inroads in recent years. Several days ago, we reported on maps that were drawn by Texas Republicans for the state legislative districts as well. As Mother Jones's Ari Berman summarized on Twitter at the time, Texas House passed extreme gerrymandered GOP state house maps at 3.30 a.m. last night. Democracy, he said, quite literally dying in the dark. He noted that whites make up 40 percent of the population in Texas, yet control 60 percent of the districts. 
on the state house maps. Latinos uh, uh, have uh, 30, make up 39 percent of the population, but they control just 18 percent of the districts. Blacks make up 12 percent of the population. They control zero percent of the state house districts. Asians make up five percent of the population, but also control zero percent of the districts. The maps that overhaul how Texas's nearly 30 million residents are sorted into political districts and who is elected to represent them bookends a highly charged year in the state over voting rights. Democratic lawmakers twice, you'll recall, walked out on elections bills that made the state's already strict voting rules even more strict by making it harder to vote, specifically in minority districts. Correctly describing the uh, GOP effort as a brazen attempt to disenfranchise minorities and other Democratic-leaning voters. The new congressional map does not create any additional districts where black or Hispanic voters make up more than 50 percent of the voting population, even as people of color accounted for more than nine out of 10 new residents in Texas over the past decade. The new residents that have resulted in two extra U.S. House seats. Despite the suit in state court, uh, this is all made easier now for Republicans across the country in places like Texas, because until 2013, when the Supreme Court effectively gutted the preclearance provision in the Voting Rights Act, states like Texas would have had to receive the OK from a federal court or from the DOJ in order to uh, have draw up maps like this. But no more. Now they can do whatever they want. And given what is now at stake, the GOP plan to both take over majorities in the U.S. House next year with this sort of gerrymandering and then use it to actually overturn the presidential election in 2024, if need be, in a way that they were not prepared to do in 2020. You heard Alex Wagner reference that. Well, given that, yes, I have called for something that I never thought I would. Democratic states must also partisan gerrymander the hell out of their own states wherever they can, not to save Democrats, but to save democracy. Now, democratically controlled Illinois, at least to some extent, at least in a state that is in actuality, it is much bluer than Texas is red. Texas is actually quite purple at this point, if it wasn't for all the gerrymandering. But Illinois is somewhat stepping up to the moment. Democrats in the Illinois General Assembly released their proposed new congressional maps with the lines drawn to yield 14 Democratic and three Republican districts. The current House delegation in use over the past 10 years is made up of 13 Democrats and five Republicans. So Democrats here will uh pick up uh, 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 one more uh, district and Republicans will lose two. Illinois lost a seat because of population shifts in the 2020 census. The potential three seat pickup overall for Democrats in the Illinois redistricting could determine, according to the right leaning Chicago Sun-Times, whether Democrats can uh, continue to 
control the House after the 2022 elections. The Illinois Democrats who control the state House, Senate and governorship drew odd shaped districts referred to as gerrymanders designed to sweep in Democratic strongholds and shed GOP turf. But it appears that the Democrats did not use all of the available partisan firepower, according to David Wasserman, the redistricting expert over at the Cook Political Report. He said the map is both uglier and less effective for Democrats than expected. That may mean Democrats unwittingly created some potential swing districts rather than safe havens in 2022. Well, isn't that just like Democrats? Now, the Democrats actually thought that they were being fair here. They said that the new map is designed to comply with federal law and ensure broad diversity across the state. The uh, chair of the state House Redistricting Committee called the proposed map an excellent first draft that amplifies diverse voices and gives every person in our state a say in government. The vice chair of the Senate State Senate Redistricting Committee said that population changes over the last decade meant many of the current districts were unbalanced. This proposed map is an effort to ensure every community across the state receives fair and equal representation in Washington. Republicans, of course, do not see it that way. Congress members Adam Kinzinger. Uh, one of the uh, very few anti-Trump Congress members in uh, in the House uh, and Rodney Davis, both from Illinois, have said they may run for Senate or governor if they determine there's no district where they have a chance of winning. Looks like Kinzinger may be turfed out with these new maps. Democrats did Davis no favor, the paper reports, drawing a snake-shaped district that slithers through central Illinois, picking up Democratic turf along the way. Davis said, quote, as expected, our lying governor teamed up with state Democrats to draw a shameful partisan gerrymander in a desperate attempt to keep Nancy Pelosi in power. This proposed map, he said, along with this entire redistricting process, is a complete joke. It's clear Governor Pritzker and the Democrats will stoop to any low (laughs) if it means they can keep their corrupt system going. So just stop. Just stop, Congressman. And, you know, until you condemn all of the way more Republican states that are doing the same thing, but much worse, you are a complete joke, sir. Sorry, snowflake, but politics ain't beanbag. And if you're really worried about it, you know what you can do? You can encourage 10 Republican senators to vote with Democrats in the U.S. Senate to pass the Freedom to Vote Act, which bans all of these partisan gerrymanders in all 50 states. What's that, Congressman? You voted against that same provision in the House? Oh, well, reap what you sow, Davis. Anyway, some of us ain't given up on democracy, not without a fight, even if it's a really ugly fight. And this one is, yes, quite ugly. And yes, I hate it. But I think we all have no choice at this point. Green News Report is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
Okay, Desi, stop nagging me. <laughs> I won't uh, take too much time. I know we're running late, so let's get to it. Our latest <laughs> green news report. By 2030, when we need to be... Uh, you know, cutting production in half, we're going to be more right. than double. Fossil fuel production dangerously out of sync with global climate targets, UN warns. Failure to act on climate change imperils millions of lives, new report finds. California expands emergency drought declaration. Plus, look, climate policy is never easy. New study finds cutting U.S. emissions is difficult, but still doable. We'll see all of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. A global shortage of CO2 is having an effect on the supply of carbonated drinks. A shortage of CO2? Am I the only one who finds that maddeningly ironic? Maybe. This is your... Green News Report. Get ready for this season's hot new beverage, Coke Flat. None of the fizz, all of the brown. Okay, Desi Doyen, from your teasers there, it sounds like you got nothing but bad news for us today. <laughs> for a change. Well, wait, there might be some good news we'll at the see. end. We'll see. First up, California Governor Gavin Newsom officially expanded an emergency drought declaration in the state, directing regulators to take more aggressive steps to curtail water use after two of nearly the driest months in California history. Although a big storm is forecast for Northern California, that will help contain ongoing mass of fires. It will also increase the risk of flash floods and deadly mudslides in burn areas. Yeah, nothing but bad news. And of course, one storm is not enough to end the state's 22-year mega drought. No, it ain't. A slew of reports this week have issued dire warnings ahead of the United Nations Global Climate Summit in Glasgow starting on November 1st. First, the United Nations Environment Program's annual production gap report this week found world governments have plans on the books to produce more than double the amount of fossil fuels in 2030 than is consistent with keeping global temperatures from rising more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels that would help us avoid catastrophic global warming. In other words, countries around the world are planning to produce way too much fossil fuels, even though they know they must stop. Exactly. The future production plans of 15 countries, including the United States, underscores the chasm between meaningful climate action and the rhetoric of policymakers and business leaders. Hmm. The 1.5 degree aspirational target under the Paris Climate Agreement is considered particularly important because overshooting increases the risk of triggering global climate tipping points. Oh, we're going to trigger those tipping points. A new report in the medical journal The Lancet warns that global Global warming is now the world's greatest threat to human health, and failure to act on it endangers millions of lives. The report tracks 44 global health indicators tied to climate change, like deadly heat waves, infectious diseases, pollution, and hunger, and found that all are getting worse. I guess we haven't got to that good news part yet. We have not. In Washington... Oh, I know we're not getting the good news now. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of the coal state of West Virginia has all but killed 
killed Democrats' landmark clean electricity performance program that would have incentivized utilities to accelerate the shift to renewable energy. But a new report from research firm Rhodium Group finds that the U.S. climate targets to cut emissions in half by 2030 is still within reach, even without the program. Difficult, but doable, if the White House, federal agencies, states, and corporations act swiftly. Oh, I'm sure they will. The analysis also confirms that decarbonizing the electricity sector will lower consumers' energy bills. And they didn't even include the enormous public health benefits from reducing air pollution, which alone would easily pay for the transition. But will it put money in Joe Manchin's pockets? That's the important thing here, I think. But enacting meaningful climate policy at all levels of government requires sustained public pressure, according to UC Santa Barbara climate policy expert Dr. Leah Stokes on a recent broadcast. People should keep the pressure up. And if those listening want to get involved, there's a website called call4climate.com. Call4climate.com, and it has a phone number. And it will just patch you directly through to your representatives and your senators, give you a script for what to ask for. Um, and that's the way you can get involved in this moment. So despair is not an option. If despair is not an option, why do I have so much despair? Finally, some good news. The Biden administration this week began the process of establishing a 20-year moratorium on new copper mining in Minnesota's Superior National Forest. The move could derail a proposal by a Chilean mining corporation to develop a massive controversial copper and nickel mine in the watershed of the beloved Boundary Waters National Canoe Area Wilderness. Like I said, not much good news, but we'll take what we can get. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Taking the good with the bad every day right here on the Bradcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, Desi Doy and our producer. Yep. Thanks to all of you for sitting through both the good and the bad every day. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who support our work. Thank you. By hitting one of those donate buttons there or just going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. That is it. I'll see you there until we see you here. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I-